The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Well, good morning. Let me try that again. There we go. Good morning. Would you join me as we pray over our children as Miss Vicky's going to meet them over at this door on my right as they uh, go to Crossform Kids. Father, we thank you so much for our kids. God, we recognize and realize that, Lord, it is one generation to the next that we're responsible for in the body of Christ. And God, we thank you for moms and dads that have committed to be the primary disciples of their children, and Lord, as they follow Christ as well. And so, Father, we pray for Ms. Vicki and the others that serve with our kids, God. We ask you to give unction to them, God. Help them communicate effectively uh, to our kids the Word of God. Lord, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, go ahead and take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Genesis chapter 7. And as you're making your way there, I want to make you aware of a couple of events that are coming up this month that you will want to be a part of this coming Friday at 7.30 p.m., 7 p.m. Uh, my wife is here to correct me, as always. So thank you, Sandy. Uh, that's why God gave her to me. You realize that, uh, to correct me. And that's, that's, that I needed that because I'm a buffoon, Amen. This Friday night at 7 p.m., our ladies will be having a Catalyst event. It's a time of encouragement for our ladies to be in worship and to be in the Word. And if you have someone that that you know that is not engaged in a body, that is uh, not in relationship with Christ, I encourage you ladies to invite them and bring them with you. That'll be here in the sanctuary. And then January 21st, that's a Thursday evening, the following week, we are having man church right here in the sanctuary to be a time of encouragement to our men, a time of worship, a time of testimony. And also on that evening, we'll be announcing the new study that the men are going to be doing. And they're either Harold or Chad are going to be out at the table in the four-year men. You can go ahead and pick those up today if you'd like. The cost on those books are $10 each, or you can wait and get them that night at that event. So uh, we'll be doing that through a digital format and encourage you to get with the guys that were in your small groups with Better Man to discuss those times. In the times of COVID, we're continuing to make disciples. We still have a mission to do. Well, Genesis chapter 7, I entitled this message today, Lessons from the Ark, and uh, there are plenty of resources for all of you to go to that are far better explanations than I could give this morning in a sermon on the specifics of the flood and the ark and all of that, and I'll be giving you a couple of those references. But as I was meditating through this passage, praying through this passage, studying in the passage this last week, the key thing that jumped out to me was not necessarily that this narrative of an actual historic event that took place that Moses recorded to us in Scripture as he was led along by the Holy Spirit and tradition that had passed down, Uh, This account is more than just the ark and the flood. There's far more to this recording of what took place than just the fact of the flood and the ark that Noah built, and we're going to look at those. Just as creation, when we began to look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we stated that 
the historical account of creation, we can't just take it and, and think that that's all it's there for, that there's something far greater behind the account that's given to us as to how all that we know in our universe and the universe and all the heavens, there's more to it than just that account of creation. We saw a few weeks ago where we celebrated the birth of Jesus. And can I propose to you that there's far more behind the scenes of the birth of Jesus than just the day that the Messiah was born. In all of these instances and other instances throughout Scripture that are narrative uh, historical accounts that are written for us and recorded, behind every one of these is the key, I think, to all life and purpose in life. What I'm talking about is in that every one of these events, if we just look at them at the specifics of the event, we miss the purpose. And the purpose of all of these and throughout all of Scripture that's given to us is the revelation of God and who He is. Remember the creation account, in the beginning, God. And here we see in this story of the narrative of Noah and his ark and the flood and God's destruction of all living, breathing on the earth, we see God clearly in the middle of every one of these. In these passages, in these narratives that are given to us, that, let me underline, that are historically accurate and right. They're not just fables or tales that have been passed along, but they are as those writers describe them, what God had done in those. So let me underline that. Here's what Paul speaks of related to these stories, and particularly the one that we're in last week, this week, and next week. He says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. And clearly what Paul is referring to are these accounts that are given to us in the Old Testament Scriptures. He said, those that were written in former days were written for our instruction. And so we can look at these past events that are recorded and we can apply them in our lives today and instruction about who God is and how we live life in relationship to God. They're there for our instruction so that we just can't pass them over. He goes on to say that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And God has given us these accounts that we might have encouragement because can I tell you this, that regardless of what centuries might bring, nothing has really ever changed since the day of creation, right? Life is life and people are people. I've had the opportunity to travel and spend time all around the world in over 50 nations of the world. And I don't say that in a bragging way. But the one thing that I've come away after going to all of these different nations, all of these different cultures, everything from what would almost seem the most backwards medieval culture to very current cultures is that people are people. And they're all touched and affected by the consequence and result of what took place in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned against God. We may have different cultural experiences. 
We may have different um, cultural practices or traditions in Nigeria, right? But people are people, and all people were created in the image of God, but all people are marred by the result and consequences of sin and are in need of salvation. And God's revelation to us through His Word and these narratives, Paul says here that they've been written in the Scriptures that we might have hope. We see some things in this narrative in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8 that that we could say these are some things that we can recognize who God is, and they stay consistent throughout Scripture as God has revealed Himself to us. The first thing that we saw last week is that we recognize that God is a holy God. Now, it's hard for us to fathom what holiness is because we are wretched, rotten sinners. Can I get an amen to that? We are so totally depraved that it's hard for us to get and gather and grasp a concept of the holiness of God. But God is a holy God, and we saw last week because God is a holy God in the account uh, given in this account of the flood that God is a just God, and because God is just, He must judge sin. Some have the idea that, well, why can't God just gloss over and look at, look away, look the other way? He cannot because his nature will not allow him to do that. And if he looked the other way, he would violate his nature and his character and he would no longer be holy. And so we saw that God is a holy and just God. We saw last week that in the midst of this, when God brought judgment on all the earth, that that God was a patient God. For 120 years, as Noah was building this ark, Noah, according to Peter, was a preacher of righteousness. And God wasn't patient just because he knew it would take Noah 120 years to build it. You know, God could have miraculously done it, right? But God was patient in that time because his heart is he desires that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. And it was in God's mercy we saw that he extended that time so that others might hear the message that Noah was preaching and would find refuge in God's grace in the ark. The other thing that we see about God in this story of the flood and the ark is that God is a sovereign God, meaning this, that every event that takes place on earth, every event that takes place in government, every event that takes place in your life, over that, God is sovereign and God works in and uses every one of those events to ultimately bring about His will. You see, in our culture today, we are concerned about governments, and and I understand that. I am too. But I have to take a step back and say, in this dispensation and in this time, God is not nearly concerned. He governs all of that. God is concerned about His bride, the church, the body of Christ, and the message that we have to get out. Amen or oh my? God's sovereign, and God is all-powerful. The end of the world will not come until God says it's time. 
We see in this story that, that God is a provider. God provided all that he that Noah and his family needed in this deluge of, of event that had never seen, never happened before, never had seen taken place, and never has happened since. God provided all that they need so that he might be the protector of them and that he would save a remnant that through them the nation of Israel would be born and ultimately the body of Christ. So we see that God is a provider and a protector. Now, quickly, let me, let me go over a couple of recaps, a few recaps that are recorded in Genesis chapter 7. And we don't have time this morning to read through the whole chapter. I'd encourage you to read it later. But here's what we kind of draw out of this, some statistics that may bore you, but let me give them to you anyway. God had given instruction to Noah to, to build this ark. And as we take the measurements and the very specific direction that God had given to Noah in building this ark, we find that it was that it was three stories tall, that it had three compartments, and in that that ark were different rooms. We had a family just last week that went to see that, and you have a better image of that recreation of the ark than I do. I've never seen it, but it was three stories high, and he told them, he told Noah that there, he's to seal it up with pitch. Now, pitch is something that, that we get from an evergreen. We can get pitch from the bark of a, a pine tree. And so contrary maybe to the images of the flannel graph that you and I saw when we were little kids, um, you'll have to explain to Abby and Zach and Kate what flannel graph was. Contrary to the little images we get in flannel graph, really what the ark was was a big black floating barge. You see, it wasn't designed to sail the oceans. It was designed to float and keep stability and so that God would save and rescue a remnant. It was 45 feet long, about the length of a a football field plus a half, 75 feet wide and 45 feet tall, and it covered an area of about three quarters of an acre. And in this, when, when God had done what he said he was going to do, that he was going to flood the earth and that all of the earth would be flooded, we take from Scripture, and it's very clear, I don't know how anybody can deny this, that it was a worldwide flood. It wasn't just an isolated flood. So that the depths of the waters would cover the peaks of the mountains, and in particular Mount Ararat, where the ark eventually settled after the waters subsided. Now, Creationists tell us that at that time, and science supports this, that most likely the earth was enveloped by this shroud of vapor, that we were protected from the ultraviolet rays of the sun, if you will, and all the waters that teemed above the earth were there. But on that day, God released a deluge of all the water in all the heavens, but that would not be enough to flood the entire earth to the height of the mountains. The account describes for us that, that from, the, from the, the subterranean waters that were underneath the earth, they burst forth and they flowed out and they completely covered the face of the earth. Now, there are a couple of resources that I want to 
focus you to. You can write these down or, or Jeff will put them on the Facebook feed so that you can go to a couple of good websites that, that are from creationist viewpoints, scientists that are creationists, that you can venture more into to see the evidence that supports all that's contained here in the account. The first one is icr.org, icr.org, Institution of Creation Research. That's a great one for you to look at creationmuseum.com, I believe, or .org is another one that you can go to. And the last one that was originated by, by Henry Morris, who was one of the forerunning scientists in creation science, was answersingenesis.com or .org. You can find either one of those. But I would encourage you to take a look at those and see the overwhelming evidence that's out there that supports the account as we have in Scripture of a worldwide flood and God's saving. But what I want to do this morning is to pull out from all of this story, Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8, and there are five lessons that, that I want to share with you that we can learn from these accounts, particularly learn about God and His relationship to man. Because remember I said, in the middle of all of this is God. And that's what applies to our lives today. What does the flood and what does the ark say to you and me in our day? What does it say to your generation? It says a lot. And here are the first of the five things that I want to point out. Number one is this, that we can and we do grieve the heart of God with our sin. We see here in Genesis chapter 6, back verses 5 and 6, he says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And so just as it grieved God's heart in that day, that every inclination of man's heart was sinful. And can I clue you in on something? For every believer in here, we battle daily and minute by minute with the inclinations of our heart that want to fall into those fleshly things. And so every single one of us are still in that condition. Thanks be to God for the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? So our sin grieves the heart of God. And God cannot ignore sin. For those of us who have placed our trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ as a payment for our sins, we have the righteousness of God in Christ, and our sins will not be held against us. But can I say this? As believers, our sins still grieve the heart of God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Some of you are on your iPhones, and you're there far sooner than me. I like hearing the pages turn in the auditorium. (laughs) I know I'm old school. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. He says to these believers, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Now, we can take that verse, and it stands on its own, that the instruction is not to grieve the heart of God. But in context of where Paul wrote that, it is in the context of Paul speaking of the sins that you and I still deal with on a daily basis. Back up with me to verse 25. He says, "...therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another." He says, "...be angry and do not sin." Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So here in context, the sin that would grieve the Holy Spirit, would grieve the heart of God, is sinning out of anger, lashing out out of anger. Be angry and do not sin and give no opportunity for the devil. You know why I put that there? Because when we grieve the Holy Spirit of God, When the Holy Spirit is bearing witness on our conscience and the Holy Spirit is saying, stop, 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 we ignore Him and we go on and do what we know the Holy Spirit is bearing on our spirit not to do. It gives opportunity for the devil to get all in the midst of everything. You want to know sometimes why you can't seem to get it together in your family, in your marriage, in your home? You might want to look at some of these things. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And then he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgives you. And so when we disobey these things, and we would, we might call these little sins, right? I mean, they're not the ones that, that are, I don't, drink, smoke, or chew, and don't go out with women who do kind of sins, right? They're those little sins that unfortunately are rampant sometimes in the body of Christ. And here Paul says, listen, don't go there because you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you give the devil all kinds of opportunity to bring mayhem. Can I put in parentheses this morning? We think of the mouth, but there's also an expression that comes through the keyboard. I ought to get a loud amen on that one. And when we refuse the admonition of Scripture in that, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And we are no longer walking in fellowship with God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we are walking according to the flesh. And it gives the devil all kinds of opportunity. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, he says this. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. Here we've spoken of grieving the Holy Spirit, 
But in 1, Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he speaks of quenching the Holy Spirit of God. He says in verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but every testing hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So there's the quenching and there's the grieving of the Holy Spirit of God. That quenching you might might make reference to is that when we quench the Holy Spirit of God, when He is bearing on us, we are just ignoring Him. That's quenching Him of those things that He might call or lead us to do. And so the first point this morning of lessons we can learn from Noah's Ark is that we can grieve and we do grieve the heart of God because of our sin. Number two is this, is that God always provides a way for us to begin again. Aren't you glad that God is a God, a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, I could go on. If you remember last year, and I didn't ask permission to share this story, so I hope I'm in trouble. I'll ask forgiveness instead of permission. Cheryl Turner had an accident on her horse. She nearly lost her life. And, and as a result of that, there was a long period of time, and she loves riding horses. Y'all know Paul and Cheryl. And she came to the point after that very traumatic event on the horse, I was so proud of her, the day that she posted that she got back up on the horse. You see, we all fall in different manners, in different ways. <laughs> the, the bad news is we're all going to fall in some way today. But God never shuts the door to fellowship or relationship with him. As long as we're willing to acknowledge and repent, God is always willing. Aren't you so glad for that? Not me. You hurt me, and I'm going to seed over it for a while. Anybody else with me on that? You break my trust once and you're cut off, baby. I'm so glad God doesn't treat me that way. He will never close the door to relationship. God wants a relationship. Look look at what he says in in chapter 7, verse 11 and 13. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month on the seventh day of the month, and that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the, the windows of the heavens opened up and the, and the rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On the same day, Noah and his son Shem, Ham, Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons went into the ark. God always has his door open. As a matter of fact, the writer of Revelation says that, that he is standing at the door of our heart, knocking. And if anyone would open the door, he is willing to come in and what? Have fellowship with them. My message to those who think they've blown it is that you can never blow it enough that God would ever close the door on you. Let me make a side note to this. God's always, because in this, some take it to the extreme to say that, well, well, God is so gracious, God's so loving, then 
then they throw out all the account of Scripture and judgment. They throw out the, the purpose for the atonement of Christ and say, well, there's this universal salvation. Folks, the Bible does not teach that there's universal salvation. The Bible does not teach that whichever way, whichever one you pray to, whether it's Allah or Abba, you're going to get in. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And can I tell you that all across America, especially today, we're hearing a gospel preach that says, you know, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter if you believe in the resurrection. It really doesn't matter if you believe in the atonement for our sin through Christ. It really, it really doesn't matter that at the end of the day, we're all getting in because God is so loving and so gracious. That is abominable to the character and nature of God. The third thing we find in this story is this. We'll not always understand God and His ways, but we can always trust Him. We will not always understand God and His ways, but we can always trust Him. Noah must have wondered. I, I can imagine. Now, this isn't inspired, so it's not, but, but, but I can only imagine human nature. I, I'm sure there had to have been times that Noah may have said, God, did, did, are, you, are you right? Is, is this the way you want to do this? especially maybe when they're perhaps, when they were, we know that there were those mocking him. They, rain? Noah, what's rain? Maybe even some of his own family members, especially his sons, if you've ever tried to get a son to work hard, right? <laughs> Dad, are you sure? We don't always understand God's ways. Yesterday, I spent time on the phone with, with three persons that I know, one related to First Conyers. They were having to make the very difficult decision to take loved ones off of respirators because of the result and consequences of COVID-19. This last week on Wednesday, one of our local pastors in the area early to mid-60s, had contracted COVID early in December. They're praying, and, and, and they're of a kind of church that thinks if you pray it, it's going to happen. They, they claimed it. The pastor passed. Barbara, you know him. Sometimes things in life are hard, and we don't understand, but they are the ways of God. I don't understand everything at certain times that have taken place in my life. Many of them I can look back and say, God, now I see what you were doing. But in the midst of them, I thought he was crazy. I thought he had left the throne. I thought he didn't know as much as I knew. And this was another way that he could have handled it. But on the other hand, there are some things that have happened in my life I just really can't understand. And I don't know that I ever will understand. But I know this. I know this based on my experience in my Christian life that I don't always understand what God is doing, but I know that God is sovereign and He's in absolute control and I can trust Him. 
you see, we, we have a tendency to look at life in, in a temporal time, meaning that three score and ten. God's perspective is not three score and ten or a lifetime. God's perspective and God's plan is for all of eternity, and we cannot grasp what that means. We just have to trust that God has a plan, that He's working it out for all of eternity. Turn with me to Romans chapter 11, verse 34. Romans chapter 11, verse 34. Paul writes this. He says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? (laughs) Self-admittedly, some of us have, right? (laughs) Who's known the mind of the Lord? As he said to Job, Job, where were you when I created the heavens? You weren't there. And you're going to question me, God says to Job? Who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Who has given him a gift to him that he might be repaid? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 through 16, he writes this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. He says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those he loves them. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You see, not everything we're going to understand in the ways of God. But one thing we can do is we can trust God in His ways. One last verse that that I want you to read with me. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. Isaiah writes this. As God is speaking through him, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So when life hits, when calamity hits, and I have no understanding as to what is going on, what's happening, oh, there, there'll be those around to try to interpret those events and say, well, this is what's happening. They're fools. They don't know. Don't listen to them. Only God knows, and we have to cling to His Word. And the Word clearly teaches that God is sovereign and God's in absolute control. We are called to trust Him. And by the way, that's what faith is, right? To trust God. As believers, sometimes we're accused of having blind faith. I tell you, faith that the Bible talks about is not blind faith. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 is the clearest definition of what faith is. Faith is the evidence of things what? Not seen. Faith is the substance of things not seen. The evidence of things hoped for. So our faith is not based on, well, check your mind at the door. But this definition of faith in the Hebrew, as we go back and look at it, the original meaning to this refers to a logical, robust, unwavering confidence in the truth. It's not blind faith. But it's faith based on a logical, robust, unwavering confidence in the flesh. So many young people today, we, we, we have this epidemic that seems that, that when kids leave our, our youth ministry, they go into college and so many of them fall away. And I've kind of concluded that, that, and I'm no expert on it, but I think one of the reasons that that often happens is because sometimes we expect our kids to have a blind faith and say, don't ask questions when you have doubts. I tell you this, one of the greatest things that can take place in a believer's life when they're searching to know the truths of God are to have questions and have doubts. I'm fully confident that God is faithful and God is able to defend the truth of His Word. All right, let me move on. I'll start preaching. Number four is this. We can obey God even though the world thinks that we are strange and crazy. Peter refers to God's people as a peculiar people. Why? It's because we are to come out from the world and follow Christ. And the world sees that, and sometimes they think we're strange and crazy. Now, let me put parentheses. I have met some crazy Christians, okay? I mean, off the deep end kind. That's not what I'm talking about. Sometimes God will lead us to do things that the world just does not understand. I can remember back in 1991, I think it was. Sandy, you can correct the year if you like. When when the Lord was was leading us from 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 a vocational world, a vocation, not worldly job. I don't think any job is world. I think all we're to do, whether we eat, sleep, or breathe, we're to do it all to the glory of God. So whatever your vocation is, it's, it's a fulfilling of that God's calling you into that place. But when God was specifically calling us away from those types of vocation into vocational ministry, we really felt, believed that God was leading us to sell everything that we had. Some of those things that we sold, I still hear periodically. Well, if we hadn't sold that. God was calling us from Conyers, Georgia. We had two little kids. Sarah, I think you were maybe five or six. She was seven, and Noah was three. God was calling us to leave all of that and to go to a place in Canada and Ontario to spend the whole summer there with an organization called Youth with a Mission. We, we, we just believed and had in our heart that we knew that God was calling us out. We didn't know where at the time. We thought maybe he's going to call us to, to someplace in Africa. And Sandy said, no, that's not where he's calling us. 
We didn't know. All we knew was that God was leading our path in this. And there were some that just thought we were crazy. Well-intended people, but probably folks about my age now that realizes we did some reckless things when we were young. And you know, if I were young, I wouldn't do that that way again, right? We had no idea that at the end of that school, that place we were in in Canada, that God was going to call us right back to Georgia to live in a one-bedroom basement apartment for a year. One bedroom. We're still kind of newlyweds, not, but one bedroom, right? Okay. With our kids there and an old beater Dotson B210, I think, that had been given to us by somebody that Noah made the statement. He said, you know what? I never realized we were poor growing up, but now I realize that because Dad had to wrap us in a blanket to take us to school, we might have been poor. And I tell you, through those years, I question sometimes whether or not God's plan was right. See, that's one of those I can look back now and say, you know what? God, by your grace, I was hearing the leading of the Spirit, and we, we did that. God, I don't know why. I think the greatest thing was that God was working in us more than he was through us. See, there was some stuff in us he had, to, he had to do in that preparation. And all I'm saying is sometimes God will lead us. Be careful that it's in accordance with the Word of God, that you have confirmation through the body of Christ, that you see that circumstances are lining up into that, as Henry Blackaby would encourage us to do through the book Experiencing God. But sometimes God will lead you to do things that even family members may look and say you're crazy. Even people in the body may look and say you're crazy. Now, if you've got everybody coming and telling you're crazy, you might better listen to them because God does speak to us through the body of Christ. Right? Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says this, The natural person does not understand the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because... They are spiritually discerned. You see, before you and I came to know Christ and we received the Holy Spirit, when we were natural men, natural women, we didn't understand the things of God. We couldn't understand the writings of God. We couldn't understand the leading of God. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. But thank God that He's given us the Holy Spirit who resides in us and leads us into all truth. We don't want to grieve him. We don't want to quench him. I love Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's one of my life verses. He says in that, in that chapter and in that verse that, that we're to present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. Our bodies, our whole being to him as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. This is your reasonable act of worship. Worship's not what we do here on Sunday morning. It's a part of it, but your life is worship. So present your body, this is your reason. And then he says, then you will be able to test and approve the perfect will of God. You see, to me, the key to understanding the will of God is living that life where all of our being is given over to him that we're laying our lives down as a living sacrifice, living for Him, dead to ourselves, 
And then he says, then you will be able to understand that perfect will of God. Why? Because that is what fellowship is. Lastly, I'll put it this. I'll close with this. All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. I know I can say this from the pulpit, but I I need to ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe that this book is the inspired, infallible Word of God? Let me ask you, do you believe that? Do we believe that? Then if we believe that, then we can trust 100% of it. Amen? We can live our lives by it. We can preach it with all confidence. We can share it with our friends and our neighbors with absolute confidence because it is the Word of God. And if we believe that, that it was that then, then it is still God's Word today. And when we read the accounts through Scripture of God's intervention in man's life events so that others might come to know him as Savior. You see, God's Word is, is God's, it is a progressive revelation of God's plan to save lost man. If you sum it all up, that's what it is. God progressively has revealed himself throughout generations, throughout centuries, his plan that Others, those that are lost, might come to know Him in His way of salvation. The ultimate, final revelation of that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. The writer in Hebrews says that in times past, He spoke through prophets and various other means. But in these last days, which we are in, in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than what we could ever hope and imagine. Folks, don't be discouraged during these times we are living in. I understand. Zach, I understand those feelings you had yesterday of being discouraged. They, they come in waves. But the Spirit says, don't be discouraged because God says that I am able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than what you might ever hope or imagine. The events that we see today are just blips on the radar screen. And in that, God is working. Don't be discouraged. Don't be pulled in by the message of the world. Don't be pulled in by the hopes that the world has. You see, the hope has a world that the only answer is government. Government's not the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. And what he's speaking, who he's speaking to today is his church. That's his primary concern because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than what you ever might hope or imagine. The mission has not changed. 
We're to win people to Jesus. We're to disciple them when they come to know Christ and equip them so that they might go and win others to Christ. And regardless of what world events take place, that cannot stop because Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the body of Christ, His church. Amen? So I'm going to say to all of us, don't send me emails on this, please. Don't get offended by this, but I want to say it in all love. I'm going to be like a football coach today. Quit crying and wimping over stuff that's going around you and get on the field and get about the mission that he's called us to. Yes, there'll be days of discouragement. Yes, there'll be days of frustration. Yes, there'll be days of confusion. But the place I got to go to when that comes are the promises and the truths of the Word of God because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He has not put His plan on Paul's. Amen? Zach, come and lead us in a closing song. Father, we love you. We magnify you. We bless you. Lord, we thank you that, God, you are sovereign king and ruler, God, not only of our lives but of this world. God, we thank you for the things that you have shown us about your nature and character and who you are from these these stories that were written long ago. But, God, we still see today that you are God and absolutely God. Lord, we bow our hearts before you right now in closing. We come before you on our knees, Lord, thanking you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And, Lord, we thank you that, God, you desire that none should perish but all come to eternal life. God, we love you. We magnify you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.